Now, some of you, I'm sure, know about, um, about Karen and I. I want to give you a little update and let you know some of you I know have prayed for us. Um, so I think what I'll do is I'll give you a little thing about what we're going through and kind of where we are now. I have a hereditary kidney disease. It's called polycystic kidneys. And I've known I've had it since sometime in my 20s. And my dad had a transplant about 56, 57. And so I knew I was headed. My grandfather died because they didn't have any treatments. And so I knew I was kind of headed there. But I thought mid-50s, 60. And we went to the doctor about a year ago. And I had dropped from 40% kidney function to 14. And he said, man, you're, you know, you're kind of end stage. And you might need dialysis. And it was a big shock to us. And we were just like, man, Lord, you know what's going on? And we'd just gone through this radical thing where we lost a staff member and it got super ugly and uh, it was just it was horrible and then we had this kidney thing and Karen wanted to be a donor which was which was amazing and she matched she matched like we're related um she matched me as good as my dad's half brother matched him and it was everybody was amazed by that and so she went in to have all of her tests <clears throat> and there was a little spot on her lung and they said, oh, you know, we see this all the time. It's not that big of a deal, but you need to go have a CAT scan. We had a CAT scan. Oh, there's 14 of these little spots in your lung. But, you know, maybe you have valley fever or something. And have you ever, you know, been around farming? And, you know, this is kind of what they thought. Maybe she had this. No. Um, so they did a biopsy. And she's 36, never smoked, never been around pesticides. And, you know, she's not a coal miner. She, she hasn't done any of these things, right? And she has lung cancer. And she has non-smokers lung cancer. She has about 17 tumors in her right lung. And then we, and, and for a long time, every time we went to the doctor, it just got worse and worse, the news. Um, yeah, they're, you know, they're cancer. Yeah, it's metastasized. Um, oh, uh, but hey, it's contained in the lung. No, now they're also in her chest cavity. So <clears throat> she has incurable, medically speaking, um, lung cancer. And she was diagnosed in October. I'm currently at about eight, nine percent kidney function. So it's kind of a it's kind of amazing. The Lord has answered a lot of prayers for us, just not the ones that we pray a lot, you know, which is heal us. But um, I should have been dial dialysis nine months ago, and I'm still doing good. In fact, I just went last week. He said I have about a month left, and I've had about a month left for ten months. Um, this two is Tuesday the first. Same. Okay, this Tuesday, one of my elders is now going to become my donor. He has his very last appointment. And so if he checks out, um, and it's kind of odd because the one thing that's holding him back is he goes to Mexico because we go there quite a bit. He got really sick on a mission trip. And they told him his blood looks like somebody who's lived in Mexico his entire life. And he told me, well, I wouldn't even be in Mexico if you weren't my pastor. So if that cancels out my kidney, it's your fault. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I don't know what to say about that. Um, he has his last appointment with a blood doctor on Tuesday. And if that checks out, then we'll schedule a surgery. Karen has a, um, has a scan in April where we're going to find out three things. One of three things. Her cancer stayed the same. It is shrunk or it's grown. And obviously grown is, is really bad. We don't want that. Um, she's on a target medication. They haven't given her chemo. Um, they don't think it's going to be that effective. And um, we're trying diet change and supplements and, um, and pretty much anything that we can do, a lot of prayer. And so, you know, we really thank you, any of you that have prayed for us and just, um, just would encourage you to keep doing it. And we know that the Lord has a plan for us and that he's using this for his glory and, and we're just happy to see it. So um, those of you that have prayed for us, thank you. Those of you that will, thank you in advance. And that's kind of what we're doing. <clears throat> okay, 
Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. I want to um, do what I would call a character study for you this morning. One of my... Um, one of my real heroes from the Bible I'd like to talk to you about, and I have a lot of heroes. I'm sure you do, too. I love David. I love studying David's life. I love him as a king. Um, I love how he reacted to things. I love how, you know, he got anointed by Samuel, and, and then, you know, next thing you know, he got a job at the palace, and he's playing music for the king, and the next thing you know, he's married to the princess, and it looks like everything's going to work out for him. And then the next thing you know, he's stripped from his new wife, his family, his friends, his position, and everything, and he's in a cave in the middle of nowhere, totally humiliated. And God uses that time in his life to make him into the man that he wanted him to be. I love David. I love Moses. And how when he was young and strong and confident, God couldn't use him. But when he lost his confidence and when he lost his trust in himself, and when he lost, you remember, he's talking to a burning bush. His stick turned into a snake. He put his hand in his robe, pulled it out. It was leprous. He put his hand back in and it was whole. And then he says, yeah, but I can't speak. You remember God got mad at him. And he said, you know, you're okay. I'll send you Aaron, which Moses lived to regret, you know, having Aaron as an assistant, right? Um, I love Moses. I love how humble he was and how he dealt with things. Love, Of course, I love Paul. You know, what, a, what an amazing character Paul is and how he changed and how faithful he was and and um, I just love Paul. But one of my heroes we find here in Mark chapter 10, and he's, he's a guy who doesn't even have a name. You and I know him as blind Bartimaeus, but that's not a name. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. Bar means son, you know, Simon, Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. It's, it's not a name. We don't even know this guy's name. Now, Bartimaeus, I think, is a cool name, but it wasn't his name. He's just this nameless kind of a beggar sitting by the side of the road. And what I want to do this morning, and I don't know how many of you take notes, but I want to point out five things that make him a great man. Five things that make this unnamed beggar, who we'll call Bartimaeus, a great man. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the verses, and then we'll go back and, and uh, kind of go through it and, and uh, make the points. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered him and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now, just a few verses, but I think they paint a picture of, of this Bartimaeus that, that is an amazing thing. And the first thing that I want us to notice about Bartimaeus is that he's a man of great understanding. If you're taking notes, that's the first one. He's a man of great understanding. And we see that in verses 46 and 47. Now, when they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of, son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the thing that we learn from the Bible is that people who had infirmities, people who were crippled, people who were blind, people who were lame, they would sit by busy roads and they would beg. This is the only way they could make money. There weren't government-funded programs. There weren't, you know, they were the original, you know, we'll work for food type of, you know, type of thing. That's what they did. And you had a space that was yours. You remember in Acts, the man who sat by the gate beautiful was his spot. He was always there. And Peter and John saw him, you know, the whole silver and gold of I none, but what I have I give you. And, you know, he picks him up and stuff. Well, blind Bartimaeus was the blind man in Jericho. And he sat by the road, and this would be his deal. He'd stumble his way, you know, with a stick or whatever, and he'd get to the road, and he'd sit down, and he'd beg. And maybe people would give him a little bit of money, and he'd go home, and he'd come back, and he'd, you know, he'd beg the next day, and he'd go home, and this was his life. And, you know, it was uh, routine. I'm sure it was a rut. I'm sure it was just what he did to try to get by. And no matter what your life is, it always kind of comes down to this for us. At some point in your life, you're going to get into a place where this is just what you do. You know, I wake up on Monday at such and such a time, and I go here, and I do this all day, and then I come home, and, you know, I watch the news, and, you know, I take care of some things around the house, and, I, you know, maybe I read my Bible, I go to bed, and I get up the next day, and I just do it all over again. You know, and then maybe on Saturday I do something a little different. Maybe I have a donut on Saturday or, you know, a little more around the house. But, but you, you're just kind of living. And I think that as humans, this is something that happens to us. We, whether we like to admit it or not, we like familiarity. We like to kind of do the same things. We like to kind of to have routines or something about it that feels safe to us. And I think what I want to say to you is that Bartimaeus shows this great understanding because he's just doing, it's just an ordinary day, but someone says to him, hey, guess what? Today, Jesus is walking on your road. And it suddenly dawns on him, this, this is a great day. And I can't see him. I don't know when he's coming, but I'm going to cry out for him. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he just begins to cry out for Jesus. Now, I think sometimes for you and I, we think, hey, you know, honey, we're going to, you know, we're going to go to this marriage class or we're going to go to this marriage retreat or someone's going to come and speak on marriage. And that's where something's going to happen for us. Or I'm going to go to the, and, and I love men's retreats and women's retreats and we do all that stuff. But sometimes we kind of think, okay, I'm going to go there and that's where I'm going to meet Jesus. And he's going to do something for me and he's going to speak to me and he's going to touch me. Listen, the Bible is absolutely full of Jesus encountering people on regular days, just doing what they always do. We have got to get out of our mind that there is some special place or there is some special way or there is some where all the planets align and then God can speak to us. You remember Moses in the burning bush? He was doing what he had done for 40 years. He was watching sheep eat their way through the desert. And you remember what it says about Moses? It says he saw a bush and he said, I think I'll turn aside and see this great sight, that there's a bush on fire, but it doesn't burn up. And it was just a regular day. He was just watching the sheep. Nobody was with him. He had done it literally thousands of days in a row. But that Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it was for Moses, it was the day that God came into his life. It was the day the Lord spoke to him. And you see, Jesus is like this for us. You know, every time we come to his word, every time we open the door, every time, the the difference between blind Bartimaeus and us 
is that Jesus is not now bound to a physical body walking up and down certain roads in Palestine. He rose from the grave so that wherever I, you know, wherever I am, there he may be also, right? Jesus can intercept our life at any time. And I think we need to have the understanding that blind Bartimaeus had that today is a day that Jesus can speak to me, that he can touch me, that he can change me, that it doesn't need to be a, you know, it doesn't need to be special. It doesn't need to be unique. It doesn't need to feel right or have a certain kind of music. It doesn't have to be at a certain place. It's just a regular, ordinary day. And I think a lot of times you and I miss Jesus for a lack of understanding. I think we just simply do not understand that he wants to be involved in our lives on a daily basis. That he just wants to intersect my life. You know, I love this thing that we do, this church, right? We come together on Sundays and Wednesdays and whenever else. And this has got to be more than singing some songs and listening to somebody talk about the Bible and seeing a couple of friends and feeling good about yourself because you went to church and going home. We believe that we serve a living God who rose from the dead and who is present with us. That every single time we come together, we have the opportunity for Jesus to intersect our lives. I believe as sure as I am standing here today, that Jesus is present and wants to intersect some of your lives. That he wants to walk down your road and he wants to speak to your heart and he wants to touch you in a way that you need to be touched. It's not a corporate thing. It's not a group thing. It's an individual thing. This is the great thing about being a Christian. It's not about what we can accomplish as a group so much as it is individuals meeting with a living God and coming together to love each other and to love God. You know what? Most other religions are about what a group can accomplish and what a group can do and how we can mold them and make them do this and accomplish that. But in Christianity, what we're saying to you is we want you to have an individual encounter with Jesus. Just you. There's things about your life that you're never going to tell to me. You're never going to admit to Ryan. You might not ever admit to another soul. Jesus knows those things. And he's present today to deal with you about them, to speak to them, to heal those hurts that maybe you have suppressed and put down and shoved away and try not to think about. But you see, it matters to him. It matters to him. Uh, do you think blind Bartimaeus ever thought he was going to see? I mean, he wanted to see, he wanted to be whole, he wanted to be touched, he wanted to be restored, but I don't think he thought he was ever going to be restored. But here comes Jesus to Jericho on his road, and he somehow understood, if I ever am going to be restored, today's the day. It's Jesus. Here comes Jesus, and I've got to cry out to him. And I would say to you, the same thing that Bartimaeus did is what you need to do. You just need to cry out to Jesus. Jesus, here, here I am. Here's my life, here's my unforgiveness, here's my bitterness, here's my hurt, here's my past, here's my present struggle. Here's the things I don't understand. Come and meet me here. Come and I, I gotta tell you this, like, this kind of stuff means something to me personally right now. Right? I, I'm, we're going through a ton of stuff that I don't know how it's gonna, I wish I could say to you, you know what, thank you for praying for me, but I know God has told me in my heart that he's gonna heal Karen and everything's gonna be all right. I know nothing of the sort. I know, I don't know that at all. God has not said to me or her, not one time, hey, don't worry about this, it's gonna be okay. In fact, periodically, I think, I'm gonna be raising three kids without my wife. And it, it just overwhelms me sometimes. And we think, 
you know, our, we have twin daughters that are entering high school next year, and we have a 12-year-old son. And, you know, I just think, man, and, and, and Karen does, like, I, I want to see him get married. I want to see him graduate high school. And we just don't have any assurances of that stuff. And it is frightening, and it's a bummer, and it's overwhelming. And God has not answered any of those things the way we want. But this much I do know, that Jesus has met us right there, and he has given us peace, and he's given us hope, and he's given us love, and only Jesus could give you peace without telling you everything's going to be all right. You know what I mean? Only Jesus can do that. The only, the only way a doctor's ever going to give me peace is to say everything's going to be all right. That's how I get peace from a doctor. Oh, this is no problem. We got a treatment for this. It always works. That's how you get peace from a doctor. You don't get peace from a doctor when they say, Okay, you know what, this should work out, but 20% of the people who go through this kidney thing, it doesn't really work for them. That's not peaceful, right? Or, you know, Miss Stewart, like, we don't have any treatments for you, really. That's not peaceful. You don't get peace from that. But with Jesus, he never said, I'm going to heal you. You're going to be fine. You'll see your kids graduate high school. You're going to walk, you know, you're going to be there for their weddings. He's never said that. And yet somehow just intersecting our life. Just meeting us on our road in our pain and our suffering. He's brought peace and hope and love. This is what he wants to do for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't have any idea at all. He knows. And he wants to meet you there. And I'm not here to tell you that the moral of blind Bartimaeus is he's going to fix everything just like that. But he wants to meet you. He wants to meet you right where you are. And I guess what I'm saying to you is you need the understanding to know that he's here and he does want to meet you. You need to understand it enough that you cry out to him, that you just say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't like it. I can't deal with it. I need you. And when you do that, he will meet you just like he does Bartimaeus. Second thing, we see that Bartimaeus was a man of great persistence. And we see this in verse 48. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now people come to him, they're like, look, man. Jesus is going to think that Jericho is full of lunatics if you keep screaming like that. Don't do that. You're making us look bad. This is Jesus. He heals people. He walks on water. He feeds thousands of people. He's not going to respond to some psychotic blind man screaming out on the road. You need to relax. But blind Bartimaeus, he had that understanding that said, man, I can't miss this chance. And when people told him to stop, he cried out all the more. There was a persistence in his desire to get to, he was not going to allow other people or other things to keep him from crying out to Jesus. Now, I don't think, maybe, maybe for some of you, there are people in your life who, who kind of say, you know, I, like, I'm glad that you go to church and I'm glad you like it, but, but just don't become a freak. You know, maybe you have those people, the people in your family who are like, look, I'm glad this is going good for you, and I'm glad it's helping your marriage. And, but I mean, come on, you're down at the church all the time. You give your money to the church. You're doing work there for free. What are you doing? Is this a cult? What's going on down there? Right? And then, you know, sometimes people can kind of, you know, can, can kind of get on you like that. And I, you know, if I was addressing a room full of high school students, this would be a much bigger point about not letting your friends and the people that are around you keep you from pursuing Jesus. But for you and I, adults who've made a decision to walk with the Lord, you know, sometimes it's me who keeps me from being persistent. Sometimes it's me who's like, man, I don't, I mean, really, do, you know, do I want to stand up in front of everybody and raise my hands? I'm going to look like an idiot. Why am I doing that? And 
why does Karen like to sit in the front? Because I, I don't mind in the back, standing up and raising my hands, because nobody can see me, but my wife likes to sit right in the front. So, but then sometimes, you know, and especially like going through this stuff, like I just feel, we're singing worship songs, and I just feel like, man, I, I just got to cry out to Jesus. And I just feel like physically, I just want to lift my hands like a little kid would to his dad and just say, like, I can't, you, you got to pick me up, you know? I remember one time, I remember one time I had this buddy, he was a friend of mine from high school, great guy, and he came to our church service, and he saw some people lifting their hands, you know, a couple of people, and he said, why do people do that? And I, you know, I talked to him about the Bible, and, but it wasn't a good answer for just a regular guy. So I said, you know, I'm going to think about it, pray about it, and, and that's, you know, that's my Bible answer, but I do it sometimes. You know, I didn't do it today, but sometimes I do it, and I'm going to tell you why I do it. Just give me a little time. Come up with something. And so... <laughs> Yeah, I prayed and I thought about it. Like, God, why do I do this? This is dumb. Do I do this because I saw somebody else do it? Because somebody who I thought was a really cool worshiper raised their hands. I wanted to be like them. And, and it hit me like, I felt like what the Lord said to me is, you raise your hands to me. I had small kids at the time for the same reasons that your kids raised their hands to you. And I started thinking about it. And I thought, there's a few times that my kids raised their hands to me. And this is what I ended up telling my friend. Number one, at that time, they were petrified of the vacuum cleaner. My kids thought the vacuum cleaner was a machine that would suck them up, right? And so whenever Karen started to vacuum, guaranteed they would come running down the hall like this. Daddy, get me off the ground before that thing eats me alive, right? So it's like, okay, you know, so, so I pick them up because they're afraid of something. Pick me up because I'm afraid. And I told my friends, sometimes I feel like that. And another reason they would raise their hands to me is because they couldn't see something. Like we have a Baskin Robbins in our town. And I think they do this on purpose to mess with kids, but the window starts like here. Have you ever noticed that at a Baskin Robbins? And it's all like you can't see any of the ice cream. Liz drives a kid and it's glass, so they try to climb them, they just slip right down. And they climb and just slide down, right? And so I'm like, what do you want? And they're like, you know, like I, I need to see something that I can't see. But I need your I need you to pick me up so I can see what you see. And I thought, you know what, sometimes that's that's me to God. Like, man, all I can see is just a blank wall in front of me, Lord. I, I need you to pick me up. I need to see what you can see. I, 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 want you to, I want you to hold me so that I can see things that I can't see. And the last one, and this is my favorite as a father. Every once in a while, call it the perfect storm. They would come to me with their arms raised just because they wanted me to pick them up and they wanted to give me a hug and they wanted to snuggle. Maybe they're tired and they just want to say, I love you, daddy. Just give me a kiss. This is my absolute favorite. And sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes I just want God to know how much I love him. So you ever see me with my hands raised? You, I could be afraid a lot now. That's what it is. <laughs> I could need a new vantage point. I could just think, God, I don't even know what I'm doing. I can't, I can't see the forest because of the trees. I need you. And every once in a while, and I'm sure this is God's favorite, I'm just saying, Lord, I love you. I just love you. You know, but there's that little thing in me. It's not somebody else, but there's that little thing in me that says, don't do that. That's stupid. The lights are up too high. People are going to see you. They're going to think you're trying to impress somebody. Why, why are you doing that? It calls attention to you. It's like, and all these things are going on in my brain, and they're all keeping me from crying out to Jesus in the way that I really want to, which really shouldn't, as long as I'm not taking off my shirt and running up and down the aisles, it really shouldn't be anybody else's business, right? I, mean, I don't think it's cool if I'm in the front row and you can't see the words or something, but like, I, you know, like maybe I think my wife's going to die. Maybe I think she's not going to see the kids 
even graduate eighth grade. Maybe I'm afraid about, you know, having to take 47 medications without her telling me what to do. We've been married 17 years. Not sure, I'm not sure I know what to do without her anymore. Two years ago, I would have said, you know, she needs me more than I need her. But now that she's the one with the incurable cancer, I'm starting to figure out maybe that's not true. Yeah, I know a little bit more about the computer, but who's going to make sure I take my pills? Who's going to make the bed? <laughs> who's going to comb the girl's hair? I can't do that. Who's going to get them ready for school pictures? I'm screwed if she dies. <laughs> no, not to mention thinking about going to that, that bed and trying to sleep and look at the closet, look in the bathroom and walk up and down the halls and go to church and look at the front row. What am I going to do? And yet there's that little thing in me that says, hey, keep it cool. Keep it cool, Jeff. You're all right. Don't let anybody know that stuff's going. Listen, forget all that. I need Jesus. Because if I don't find Jesus in what I'm going through now, I'm going to go crazy. And trying to be strong for other people and trying to project the right kind of thing, man, it's just going to suck all the life right out of me. I need Jesus. And I care a lot less right now about what other people think of me than I ever did before. Bartimaeus was a man of great persistence. And what I want to say to you, and maybe this is just for one or two of you that are here. I mean, there's one or two of you here this morning that there's, listen, if you don't want to raise your hands, don't raise your hands. It would be fake and it would be stupid and you shouldn't do it. But if you want to raise your hands and there's something in you that says, oh, I don't want to do that. I won't be like those people. I'm not Pentecostal. Like, But there's something in you that wants to do it. You need to do it. You need to forget about what those other people in your head are telling you. And, and you need to cry out to Jesus. And if you've got to get on your knees some Sunday and you've got to cry out to Jesus because you realize that this is an opportunity, that he's on your road, and that if you cry out to him, he could touch your life, then you need to do that. And you need to not care about the rest of it. Bartimaeus was a man of great persistence. The next thing, this might be my favorite thing about him. He was a man of great determination. And we see this um, in 49 and 50. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they said to the blind man, called to the blind man, saying, Rise, be of good cheer, he's calling you. I love how quickly they changed their tune, right? <laughs> Shut up, you idiot. Hey, be happy, he's calling you. I guess it did work. You know, come on. So, but look at verse 50. This just blesses me to no end. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now, I mean, that seems like just an innocuous statement, like no big deal, right? He's blind. There's a massive crowd around. If he throws aside his coat, by the time the multitude kicks it around, he's never going to find this thing again. And one thing I can tell you about blind Bartimaeus is he does not have money to buy another coat. And I'm, you know, if, if I'm blind Bartimaeus and I'm, and, and why would he throw his coat aside? Maybe when he stood up, he had one arm in and one arm out. You know, he looked like Stuart in the video there, maybe. <laughs> right? Maybe he was all wrapped up in it and, and he just, it, maybe it just came, this is how I like to think about it, that it just came down to, I could mess around with a stupid coat or I could go to Jesus. And he just threw that coat aside. And you know what? If Jesus doesn't heal him, he's never going to find that coat again. Because there is literally, remember the story when Jesus was on the way to Jairus' house and Jesus stopped, somebody touched me and Peter said, are you out of your mind? There's a multitude of people thronging and pressing you and you say someone touch you. That's what it was like when Jesus walked around. Just hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people following him around. And Bartimaeus, something happened with his coat and he just said, I'm not going to let this thing keep me from my opportunity to meet with Jesus. 
Bartimaeus was going to let nothing or no one keep him from meeting Jesus. And this is something that happens to all humans. God's blessed us. I don't think God cares at all about, you know, your hobbies and your stuff. And, but things can keep us from meeting Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't know how you are. I just know how I am. I love new stuff. I love new clothes. I love new toys. I love new cars. Man, I love new stuff. And when I'm going to get something, if it's, you know, if it's more than 20 or 30 bucks, you know, I'm checking it out. I'm looking at it online and I'm pricing it and I'm trying to talk Karen into it. And, and you know, honey, I'm going to get this surfboard. And listen, it's 900 bucks, but it's really a steal. You know, I got to explain to her how 900 bucks is a steal, you know, and we got to go through the whole thing. And I'm taking her on this, you know, video montage and and all, you know, it's amazing. And I just get so, I can get so wrapped up in stuff like that. And then I get it, man. And I, and all I'm thinking about is now I, I just, I got to use it, right? I just got to, you know, now I got to use it. And I want to take it out and I want to, you know, I want to get on it and I want to do this and I want to do that. And, and if I'm not careful, a week, two, three weeks will go by. And I haven't thought much about, gee, I thought a lot about my surfboard. Now, I showed up at church and I studied and I gave my messages and I prayed for people and, I did everything I was supposed to do, but I'm not thinking an awful lot about Jesus. And when I'm not in here and when I'm not at a counseling and when I'm not at a lunch meeting, I'm not pursuing Jesus at all. I'm pursuing this thing. You know, there's something going on at home. We're fixing up the house and I am just wrapped up in it. And it's hard not to be, isn't it? This is really hard not to be. Have you ever wondered, and I hope this makes sense. Have you ever wondered in the Old Testament how these guys, kings, could have all these wives and God never said anything to him about it? You know, it's not okay. It's not okay that Jacob had two wives. It's not okay that David had a bunch of wives. We all know it's not okay what Solomon did, right? But God never says anything to him. The only thing God got mad about is that Solomon let his wives turn his heart away from the Lord. Never says anything to David. Remember David, when he was real old, they got him that pretty young girl to get, get naked and get in bed with him to keep him warm? I mean, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? You know, God never says anything about that. I think if my grandpa did that, I'd be quite upset, you know? <laughs> I think grandma would be quite upset, right? But, but God doesn't say anything about it. Sometimes I wonder, like, why is it? And then I think about us. And I just think about that we are the most gluttonous people that, you know, probably since the Romans. And I don't just mean in food, and, but just in stuff. Like, these, these are new shoes. And I'm really happy about these. And I paid $19 for these at a Converse outlet. And I, I, mean, I love these shoes. I have like seven pairs of Converse, right? And, and other kinds of shoes. I have like 20 sweaters. I have a, a billion t-shirts. Do I need those? I don't need those. And you know what? That stuff, I have five surfboards. I mean, I'm a fairly big guy, but I still can only use one at a time. <laughs> you know? If you stack them, they don't work too good. But I have, but I have five of them. It, you know? I, and that stuff hinders me. The same way that having multiple wives hindered those guys. But God, he just looks at me and he's like, Jeff, if that's what you're going to do, like, look, I put it in my word. It's going to hinder you. But I don't, and, and this might sound really bad. I don't feel convicted about my seven pairs of Converse. I don't feel convicted about my five surfboards. I don't feel convicted about my 20 sweaters. Every once in a while, I figure out, you know what? This stuff is keeping me from Jesus and I need to get it right. But I don't feel convicted when I'm out at the store. Maybe you do. And if you do, you should listen to it. God's not convicting me about stuff like that, but he just kind of says every once in a while, like, look, just because I'm not convicted, just because I'm not saying anything about it, 
doesn't mean it's okay. Doesn't mean you're not paying a price for it. Doesn't mean that those things are not holding you back from reaching me because they are. Just like blind Bartimaeus' coat. And man, I, what I love about him is that he was so determined to get to Jesus, there wasn't anything that was gonna hold him back. But you don't understand, this is my only coat. I don't have enough money. If he doesn't heal me, what am I gonna do? I'll never get another coat. He didn't care. Throwing aside his coat, he came to Jesus. I don't care, man, this is my chance to get to Jesus and there is nothing that's gonna keep me from getting to Jesus. See, now that makes me feel like I'm at home. <laughs> so I said to Ryan yesterday, we're at his house, like, where's the noise? Trucks and gunshots and sirens and what's going on? I feel like a nuclear bomb went off outside and we're the only survivors in the world. I'm not used to this. Like, so that, that made me feel comfortable. That happens at, that happens at our church quite regularly. While we're preaching trains and sirens, and that's awesome. <laughs> Wednesday nights, helicopters searching for people outside. That's cool. Okay, let's go on to the next one. The next thing we learn about Bartimaeus is he's a man of great worship, and we find this one um, in verse 51. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And I don't know if you have a center margin, but what you'll see if you do, that that Rabboni is literally, literally translated, my great one. And what I love about this is before Jesus does anything for Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus calls him my great one. Now, if Bartimaeus is healed, I totally understand him calling Jesus my great one. But for him to call Jesus my great one before he does anything for him shows me that he had a depth of worship that is an amazing thing. Here's what I want you to know about worship. We worship Jesus not for what he does, but for who he is. In my mind, and I like to play word games that may or may not make sense. In my mind, I separate worship and praise. In my mind, praise is what I give to the Lord when he's done something for me, right? That, that's what I give. I give him praise. Like, I praise you, Lord. You blessed me in your, but worship. You, you ever read in the Bible, we'll offer you a sacrifice. Like to me, and, and it's, you know, worship and praise, it's the same thing, but that's how I separate it in my mind. Worship is for him because of who he is. If he never answers another prayer I pray the rest of my life, he's worthy to be praised. What did Job say? Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. I, I should, now that I'm quoting these verses, I should switch those words in my mind, right? A sacrifice of praise. Though he slay me, yet I shall praise him. So don't, yeah, don't do the word thing because I've got it backwards. <laughs> but it's too late for me to change. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Worship to me is this. Bartimaeus, you're my great one. You haven't done anything for me yet except come down my road, except acknowledge me, Except call me to yourself, and that's enough for me to praise you. How about you? How about you when things aren't going the way you want, when God's not answering your prayers, when you feel like you're praying and it's hitting the roof and falling back down? Do you come here to church? Do you put in a worship tape, and do you find it difficult to muster praise? Do you find it difficult to praise the Lord? Because if you do, you're having a worship problem. You don't understand what it means. Man, one of the most freeing, wonderful things for Karen and I has been to worship the Lord just throughout this entire thing and to sing, you know, blessed be the name, Lord. He gives, he takes away, blessed be your name, right? Joe, our worship leader, wrote a song called, bless the Lord, O my soul, in the valleys, I will bless your holy name. In the darkness, 
I will bless your holy name. Times of heartache, seasons of pain, I will bless your holy name. And those are wonderful lyrics and they're beautiful. But man, when you're going through the darkness and when you're going through heartache and pain and you can sing that to the Lord from your heart, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I don't know who this is for, but I guarantee you this is for somebody here. Things aren't working out for you. You're scared. You're confused. God's not answering you. You don't feel like it's fair. What I've come here to say to you this morning is you need to worship him. And you don't need to wait until he answers you, until he explains everything or until he works it out. You need to worship him today. You need to praise him because he's worthy to be praised no matter what happens to you. If he never does another thing for us, we're going to live for eternity in heaven with him. It's enough to praise him. He lives in our hearts. He died for our sin. These fundamental truths of Christianity need to flow from our lips and our hearts no matter what we face in our life. Here's blind Bartimaeus. Now he's blind and has no coat. And he says, my great one, Jesus, I love you. I love you. What, what, um, he is a hero to me in how he worships the Lord. I don't know how this thing for me and Karen's going to turn out personally, but however it turns out, I want to be like Bartimaeus. I want to know in my heart that I worship God as it just got worse and worse and worse. I want to know that I worship God when it didn't seem like he was answering me, when it, when I was confused, when I was afraid, when I didn't know what was going on, when it didn't seem fair. You know, it's so difficult for me now. Like, I have to fight these feelings. I could go around and I see people smoking and I just get angry. Like, why don't they have lung cancer? Like, they don't have lung cancer. She's never lived with a smoker. Like, this is not fair. And I, I have to fight these kinds of things with the Lord. Like, this is not fair. And, you know, he just reminds me, like, yeah, what's fair is for you to die and spend eternity in hell. That's fair. You know, there's a lot of things that aren't fair. I want it to be true of my life that like Bartimaeus, that I worship Jesus when it didn't, when there was no light at the end of the tunnel, you know? It's one of the things, like our, one of our biggest concerns is if things don't work out the way we want them to, that we want to, we want to portray to our kids a reality that they'll know that if they lose their mom or if they lose their dad, that Jesus is real, that he meets you where you need to be met, that he'll take care of you, that he's worthy to be praised, that you can put your trust in him. Karen has said many times, like, she doesn't want to die and she doesn't want to leave. But if she does, she just, want, she just doesn't want her kids to turn, her, turn their back on the Lord. Just doesn't want them to blame Jesus. These are the talks that she has with them. I just don't want you to be mad at God if it doesn't work out. You know, because Gracie, one of her girls, is like, you're going to be fine. You'll be fine, Mom. You know, that's how she deals with it. Karen's like, I hope so, Grace. But if not, you can't blame the Lord. He's got a perfect plan. You know, I want to worship God that way. Last thing. He was not simply a man of great understanding and great persistence and great determination and great worship. He was a man of great decision. Jesus heals him, right? Verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Jesus said to him, go your way. And what Jesus is saying to Bartimaeus is, here's your sight. Go do whatever you want to do. Now, if you'd been blind your whole life, you think there's some things you might want to see? Like, what does your mother look like? Maybe Bartimaeus is just that man, I'd like to see my mother. Or I'd like to see that girl, with the, that lady with the really nice voice who always gives me a dime. Or I'd, I'd like to see what the Dead Sea looks like, or the Jordan River, or the temple in Jerusalem. You know, maybe he wanted to go to Lebanon and see the cypress trees. Maybe he wanted to go to Egypt and see the pyramids. 
Maybe he just sat there on the road and daydreamed about what would I do if I got my sight? I would see this and I would go here and I, I would see these things. And I, there's no doubt in my mind that Bartimaeus had in his mind what he would do if he could see. First, I'm going to go home and I'm going to see my parents and I'm going to see my neighbors and I'm going to see the, you know, the, the family pet. And then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go all down the street. And then I'm going to go, you know, to the Dead Sea. And then I'm going to go to the Jordan River and I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to go to Rome and I'm going to, I'm going to see all these things. And Jesus says to him, go your way, Bartimaeus. Your faith has made you well. And, and I believe Jesus meant that to him. Hey, buddy, man, I love you. Go do whatever you want. You, does it ever, did it ever occur to you like Jesus heals people and he's always telling them, don't tell anybody? Did, does it ever strike you oddly? And then does it ever strike you oddly that they go and tell everybody, right? And then Jesus never really says anything about it. I, I think there's a couple things about that. And I used to always think that Jesus just didn't want to parade himself or promote himself. And I think that's true. But one day it hit me that the reason Jesus is always telling these people, don't tell anyone, is that he wants them to know, I'm not healing you to get famous. I'm not healing you to get a reputation. I'm not healing you for me. This is my gift to you. And you can do with it whatever you want. You don't ever have to tell another soul. This is just from me to you. And I think that just describes who Jesus is. It's what he wants to do with me, you know. I feel compelled to tell people what's going on in my life, what the Lord's doing for me, what he's doing in me, what he's doing for Karen and I, but I don't have to. I don't have to. Jesus is doing that just for me. When he's bringing me peace and joy, when he's meeting me at the darkest parts of my life, he's doing that for me. He's not saying, you know, all right, I'm going to do this for Jeff because then he's going to tell a bunch of people. Like, people think this way, like, oh, sure, he's, he's going to heal Karen because you pastor a church and tons of people are praying for her and God will get a lot of glory. He didn't do stuff like that. If he wanted to show off, he'd just appear in the sky once in a while and just call people by name. Hey, Joe, I know what you've been doing. You know, like if, like if God wanted to show off, that's what he would do. Or, he, you know, paint things in the sky. He doesn't show off. He just cares about people. And when he does something, he just does it for me. He just does it for you. And when he healed Bart Bartimaeus, he just said, Go your way, man. Whatever you want to do, bro. Just go. Go see your mom. Go. But what do we read about Bartimaeus? And immediately, he followed Jesus on the road. Jesus said, go your way. He made his way the way of Jesus. You see, he has a decision to make. I can go do all those things I wanted to do. But if I do that, I'm not going to know where Jesus is. But right now, I have an opportunity to follow him to stay near him, to hear him, to watch him, to love him, to learn from him. And suddenly the pyramids in Egypt and the temple in Jerusalem and the Dead Sea aren't as important to me as it used to be. Now, the only thing I want to do with all this freedom is follow the Lord. And you see, grace works like this. A lot of pastors are afraid to tell you what grace really means. This is what grace means. You could never be good enough to deserve God's love. Everybody's comfortable with, right, with that, right? Grace also means you could never be bad enough to undeserve God's love. So grace means. Pre preachers are afraid to tell you that because they're afraid if they tell you, like right now, you'd all jump up in mass and run outside and start sinning. <laughs> like, hey, Pastor Jeff said, I could never be bad enough for God not to love me. I'm gonna, you know, get that lower back tattoo and get drunk and commit an affair and just do all these things I've always wanted to do, you know, whatever. But you see, the thing is, is that when the Lord gives us freedom and it really comes from him, all we want to do is be with Jesus. All we want to do is be like him. All we want to do is follow him. When you really receive grace, doesn't, you know, sh should we sin more that grace should abound? Certainly not. 
This is how I like to describe it. Every little boy who has a good dad, what does he want to be when he grows up? His dad. He wants to be a plumber, an electrician, a farmer, a pastor, a real estate guy. He doesn't care. Remember when Titus was little, I'd come in and he'd have my shoes on, size 12 shoes, and he'd have a Bible, and he'd be like, and he'd go like this, I'm Pastor Jeff. You know? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm Pastor Jeff. And then he would laugh. You know, yeah, it's real funny. You know? But well, why, why did he do that? Because, because I'm, I love him. Because I'm a good dad to him. Same thing's true with the Lord. Same thing's true with Bartimaeus. Go do whatever you want. All I want to do is be with you, Jesus. You know, when you really understand how much he loves you, that he loves you so much that it doesn't matter what you do, what you've done, where you go, where you've been, when you really understand the grace of God, what did Paul pray for the Ephesians? That the eyes of your heart would be open so that you could comprehend his love. When that happens for you, all you want to do is be with Jesus. All you want to do is follow him. All you want to do is be more like him. All you want to do is treat people the way he's treated you, love people the way he's loved you, forgive people the way he's forgiven you accept people the way he's accepted you. The best Christians in the world are not the ones who are constantly told what not to do. They're the ones who are constantly told how much God loves them because it makes them want to be like Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus was a man of great decision because given an opportunity to do whatever he wanted, he wanted to be with Jesus. And I want to say this to you today. God gives you the same opportunity. Do whatever you want. I love you. I created you. I love you. I want to be a part of your life. Do whatever you want. Will we have the same great, will we make the same great decision that Bartimaeus did? Jesus, I have the opportunity to do whatever I want. One last thing, and I feel like I'm talking way too much about me and Karen, but when, when you're thinking about dying, we had to sit down. One of the very first things we did, we had to sit down and decide, what is this ministry? Do we want to keep doing this? Because if this is just a job, then let's sell the house and let's go take a cruise of the Greek Isles and let's take the kids to Disney World and let's live out the time we have doing the things we want to do. Because I'm not going to stand behind a pulpit and, and just speak to people and listen to their problems and pray for them just as a job. I don't know how much time we have left and I, I want to, what are we doing? And we had to look at each other and we had to go before the Lord and we had to figure out, is, is this what we want to do? Is this what we're called to do? And I really felt a freedom from the Lord to walk away from the pulpit for a little while, a long while, whatever I wanted to do. I felt like he was saying to me, like he did to Bartimaeus, whatever you want to do, Jeff. And what I decided is, what I really want is I want my life to matter. We want our lives to matter. If we have a little bit of time, we spend a lot more time together, obviously, but we want to minister to people. We had to tell the people in our church, don't be afraid to tell us your problems. Don't think like, oh, my problem's nothing compared to your problem. We want to hear your problems. We want to pray for you. We want to minister to you. This is what we want to do. Believe me, if we didn't want to be here, we wouldn't be here. And we thought long and hard about not being here. But we came to this decision. If I've got a day, if I've got a week, if I've got a month, if I've got a year, what better way to spend it than serving the Lord? Doing something that matters, something that's eternal, impacting people's lives. That's what we want to do. And I feel in that way a lot like Bartimaeus. Jeff, you can do whatever you want. You want to quit. You want to walk away. You want to just build a little wall around your family and enjoy your time, man, I'll bless you and I'll love you and I'll be there with you. But what I really want to do, I want to follow the Lord. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's all I want to do. And the more you learn about Jesus, that's all you're going to want to do. Just be a blessing to other people.